3: And on this episode, three women are denied justice based on the word of one Arizona policeman. What was kept from them? Documentation that the cop was a liar. We'll review the podcast, Verified Full Disclosure. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective,
2: resident cat lady, and author of the best-selling Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. Yeah, by the time this podcast comes out, it should be official that the Final Curtain is going to be the top book at Water Street Bookstore for 2022. That's two years nice. in a row for you. Two nice. years in a
3: row, yeah. Thank you, Water Street Bookstore. I'm curious, how is the first book in the series faring in 2022? Is it also on the top 10?
2: Oh, yeah. So it's got a boost from the second one. So it's pretty exciting. As it should. That's how the tail effect works, right? Yeah, I like it.
3: Yeah. Also with us is our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby.
4: Hello, Rebecca.
3: All right. So, Kevin, obviously, this is Monday's program. Yeah. You are the executive producer of the show. What a fine job you do.
5: <laughs> what is
3: coming up on Thursday's program?
5: Yeah, on Thursday, we're going to be talking about the documentary series from Peacock. It's called The Battle of... For Justina Pelletier.
3: All right. And Kevin, we have another announcement to make about the show. Yeah, I've had
5: teased this last week that we are coming from a new studio. Oh, really? But not a new location, did by we, the way. Did we build it, a brand new studio? No, no we reading, didn't. Yeah. It looks like Toby Baldo is in Vermont and not in New Hampshire. So if his comments this week sound a little more hippie, it's probably because of that. <laughs> or a little more echoey. A little more echoey, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah. we are still in the basement in Studio C, but we're getting a new name, Alyssa who has been supporting us for a billion years, who is the owner of The Yoga Loft, which is The Yoga Loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio. She's recently combined her business with another yoga studio. Yeah. So it means we have to rename our studio. Are you ready for the new name? Yes. All right. This is... The Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. I like studio. it. I Yay. like it. That's wonderful. <laughs> Wait, can you say that again? Because that's a mouthful. Sure. I Take a deep breath first. <gasps> the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Studio.
3: I like wow. it. I don't like Perfect. that the word "studio" in it. Yeah, twice. you know, I was trying to figure out how to fix that because you know what? It's actually fine. It makes it funny.
5: Does it make it funny? Yeah. Okay. Yes.
3: But I like I like the words "treehouse" and "mockingbird." I'm glad they're both I didn't in there. Know. Yeah, yeah. I almost kind of want to take out the Mississippi, only though, because like people get confused, and I've I've been on a few other podcasts where they're like you live in Mississippi, right? And I'm like, no. I don't live in Mississippi. That's just the name of our studio. Thanks to Alyssa, who our top Patreon sponsor.
5: Yeah, and I got to double check that this uh, the studio is above the Mockingbird Cafe, not around the corner from the mock. Yeah. But we're just going to go with this. Adjacent to, adjacent to. All right, <laughs> no, we're going to stick with the script right now. In but the it- area of, yeah, and I bet there's a whole bunch of people say. What are you talking about? As soon as the music comes up at the end, I'm out. Yeah. I never hear that. You never hear the outtakes. You never
3: hear the outtakes. Yeah. The best yeah. part of the show, by the way. Yeah. Um, this part
5: sucks. Yes. But the best part of the show is, the is stuff we say for the end. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So we have a Patreon, obviously, for the program. And we have one sponsorship level at the very top of our Patreon. And the person who grabs that sponsorship level gets the naming rights to our studio. Yeah. And this sponsor, Alyssa, has had it for years. And she's named the studio after her business. And uh, that's the name of her business. Yeah.
5: So much congratulations to uh, Alyssa on her new business venture. I was checking the schedule. First thing, New Year's Day. She's got classes. She's out there. She is a hustler. And uh, we are so happy that she has supported us for all this time.
3: Remember when that really cute Navy pilot landed in Base St. Louis and, yeah. and like, took the picture of the studio for us?
5: He went looking for it. Yeah. yeah.
3: That was really cool. But now
5: he's got to go back and find it on a whole different street.
3: Yes. But it's still apparently above a cafe.
5: Or, or adjacent too. It
2: sounds like it's above. Yeah. That cafe. I keep on to say like the Rainforest Cafe, but it's the Mockingbird Cafe. Yeah. yeah.
5: Yeah. But it's not like a bodega where you can go in and buy SOS pads and soap. <laughs> and see a cat. <laughs> see a cat. By a bunch of random uh, electrical cords Next for different to the gyms, Next to the <laughs> <slim> <laughs> uh, Or individual cans of beer.
3: <laughs> Next to the tampons. Oh. <laughs> all right. Um, okay. Well, I think it's time to talk about the subject of this podcast. Should we get to
5: it? Let's do that.
2: All right. Let's drop that first clip right now. And all I can feel is his hand going down across my side. And in between my thighs, so close to where I could feel him rub up against, um, rub up against my private parts. I did say to him, "What the f are you doing? What? What are you? What, why, what is? What is
3: this?" Gianna Anderson says that Officer Anthony Armor assaulted her during a traffic stop. Francis Salazar went to prison over Armour's testimony, and fellow officer Abby Dennison says Armor drugged and raped her. That same nurse said,
2: I have to call Phoenix police. And I remember just taking a deep breath and saying, please don't call. Please, like, please don't. And they said, we're required to. And I paused again and I said, I work for Phoenix police. I am a Phoenix police officer. At the time, Armour was on something called the
3: Brady List, a catalog kept by Arizona prosecutors of cops who shouldn't be called to the stand cops whose history of lying or misconduct could impeach their testimony, and that evidence was never disclosed to the women. It
1: was explosive. The file shows that before he testified against Francis Salazar, Anthony Armour had been caught doing things that would normally have placed him on the Brady List, and eventually it did.
3: In the latest season of Verified, Full Disclosure, host Natasha Del Toro looks at how Arizona failed to hold disreputable cops accountable or track them from job to job. Piggybacking on the work of an investigative TV reporter, Del Toro explores a system in which cops can lie and no one needs to know. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Verified, Full Disclosure, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes, to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Laura, as I just mentioned, this podcast piggybacks off the work of an investigative television reporter. What do you think of the way that they've sort of blended these two formats, taken this TV reporting and brought it to audio?
2: Well, I mean, this TV reporter, Dave, who does appear in the podcast as a character, was Really quite amazing in terms of the public record requests that he put in to get the information, to bring this information out there. I think that this was a really great way to get that information, which was really something that people should know about out in a different medium and out to perhaps a different audience than the initial audience that heard it. And I also liked how we heard from him throughout this podcast in terms of how he got things, where he got the information, putting things into context talking about where things are now and how things were received while he was doing the reporting. But I mean, it was total rage walking material on all fronts in this podcast. But he was also able to, you know, shed like if somebody was like, not that like Exeter and Phoenix are the same, but he had this insider thing. So they're like, well, what is Phoenix usually like? And he was able to be like, yeah, downtown Phoenix, usually not this busy. Like when he was talking about the, you know, 18 protesters kind of setting the scene of what it was like there. So I'm glad. I mean, it's unusual. And I think it's unusual because I think the theme of this podcast was very similar. It wasn't structured like perhaps some of the narrative storytelling podcasts we've listened to, but the information and the reporting and the quality of that came through. They couldn't see them turning in.
4: No, there was no
2: way. There's no way for them to see these people turning in. So there's literally no way that they could have detected whether there was a blinker violation.
4: There is no way they could have seen the blinker violation. They just wanted a reason to speak to the people in this car.
5: Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's two ways I guess you could go about presenting the podcast as far as the format goes. One could be that you just have Dave do it, right? He's already done a lot of the work and you can argue, oh, well, Natasha's good, but is she really bringing anything to it? And I would say, no, I, th- I like this format because, I mean, Natasha is doing some news gathering too. We hear from a lot of the victims and, and, and things like that. So it's it's not accurate to say that they're just standing on the shoulders of Dave. But it makes it, I think, for an interesting podcast to hear him be more of a guest than a presenter. Because then Natasha can ask curious questions and, you know, it gives him a chance to, like you said, do more than just his findings. Also talk a little bit about his observations about gathering that news. But like you said, Laura, I'm just completely blown away with how effective an investigative reporter he is. I don't know how you get those documents and that body cam footage in a uh, expeditious manner, especially when the government looks bad. They can stonewall on those kinds of requests because that's the rope which they hang them with is, you know, their own video, their own words, their own transcripts from grand juries. It's just fantastic reporting and it really makes a difference in that community.
3: No, Kevin, I just wanted to make, make like one mention of one thing. Yeah. Like this TV station really invested in this like long-term investigative reporting project, mm-hmm. yeah. which is not super common for a local TV station to do. No,
5: they created the database with their Brady list. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean,
3: you know, as like a, a TV reporter, even the investigative reporters at TV stations, a lot of pressure to like meet deadlines, do general assignment reporting, yeah. right? Like it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's I I just want to give the TV station that this guy works for Credit for letting him stay on the story because that's not common at all.
5: Yeah, to let him sit in a courtroom for a civil trial that is tangentially related to the larger investigation. Right. Is sort of like some news directors would be like, "No, you got to go on. You got to remember exactly." There's you a storm fire today. Package, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a dust yeah.
3: storm today, sir. It's you got to go watch that.
5: Right, exactly.
3: <laughs> I mean, so Toby, one other thing that's different about this podcast is, um, you know. This podcast, sort of like the season of motive we reviewed this season, sort of skips around stories. Right? There isn't one single narrative that it follows all the way through.
4: Yeah, because I I think when it starts, you get the feeling it's going to be about this one cop, Anthony Armor, and his sexual misconduct. Because the first two episodes are basically about misconduct with uh, a woman who he stopped for like a bogus traffic stop, and then the next one, a fellow officer. But that's not really what it is about, right? Sort of introducing the idea of corruption on the Phoenix Police Department and lack of accountability and discipline. So then it kind of moves on from there to other stories. So, you know, I think one of the things you kind of, at least for me, came out of it thinking about is like how cohesive a narrative does it need to be? Like you're building a case, but they don't really signpost that for you. At least if they did, I didn't pick up on it at the beginning that eventually we're going to get to here. So in some ways it was interesting that it was like that. And like a new episode would come and be like, oh, okay, well, this is a different look at sort of a thematically similar thing. It worked for me, but it's, it's definitely different. And I think it's sort of a testament to the reporting and the information you get out of this, that it works because it's a little bit less sort of Organized and and have sort of a narrative through line than what we're used to, and what I think a lot of podcasts really need. But in this case, that that, that didn't seem to be the case.
3: So let's talk a little bit about the Brady list concept. In New Hampshire, we have a similar concept called the Lori list, which until a couple of years ago was secret. It was a list that was held back from the public, a lawsuit was filed, and then a couple of like legislative things happened. um, But it was Secret is actually the subject of a podcast that Jason Moon, hosted. Bear Brook did called The List. It was under the document banner at NHPR. But do you think these lists should be completely public? Because I will say, when the state of New Hampshire was forced to finally essentially make this list public, it was heavily redacted. And then it was sort of like it was released in stages because then a bunch of cops like sued to keep their names redacted or appealed to keep their names redacted. And there are still some redacted names on it of sort of like pending sort of situations. But like. This information, I mean, why shouldn't it be public, I guess, is the question.
5: Well, I'm going to go before the former defense investigator gets her teeth into this question. But, yeah, I think it should 100 percent be discoverable and not just by defense attorneys, but by the public, too. But you're right; at the very least, the defense should know. I mean, I think probably what we're trusting the prosecution to do is to just disclose the names as an ad needed basis. Right. If none of the cops on the list are involved in the arrest or they're going to call for testimony, then we're not going to tell you who's on it. But I feel like this is something that should be discoverable because if Officer Jones is the one they call to testify, but Officer Baker was also involved in the arrest and Officer Baker is is on the Brady list for fabricating evidence or lying or something like that. That is relevant to that defendant's yes, case. absolutely. But it's being obfuscated. So I, I like the idea that it should be public. It also gets into the, you know, the larger issue is how do we hold police officers really accountable when they're uh, disreputable? But I, I think we all have ideas on that. But I'm just going to go get my popcorn and wait for Laura to <laughs> rage walk or fuck the way through this question. Well, Laura, I have a But like,
3: so Laura, what the thing I wanted to ask you about, too, most cases don't go to trial. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would argue this should be public because the idea that it should be withheld because it's about officers testifying is fucking bullshit because most cases don't go to trial and they try to push defendants to take plea deals And if they're
2: arrested by cops who lie, Mm -hmm. that's something their lawyer should know. Absolutely, Rebecca. And that's the thing. You know, I'm thinking back to prior to the Lori list, you know, coming out last year when I was still working as a defense investigator. We would maybe know like in the office sort of informally people that were on the list. We had no idea what they were on the list for. It wasn't really anything you could use. But in this case, especially like you said, there are a lot of cases that plea out before trial or negotiate down. And if there is a police officer involved in that case that has credibility issues, that is absolutely something you should know, because if the prosecutor is like pushing, 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 and you actually know that this officer isn't going to be able to stand up in court because of something that's happened in his past, I mean, that's something you you need out there. And the other thing about this is it reminds me so much of New Hampshire, but also sort of this idea, I think they described it at one point, and I thought it was such a good description of nomadic cops.
6: This is the place
1: that was being described as a second chance department. What does that What does that mean?
4: Or in some cases, a third chance, fourth chance. I think one officer is a sixth chance. It means they've been pushed out of previous departments or fired, and this is their last resort. This is, I believe, their second or third, fourth, fifth chance to still become a, remain a cop in Arizona.
2: We had the situation here in Exeter, where I live, at the hospital, where we had the guy, the big hepatitis C case. Kwiatkowski. Yeah, and he was working in the cath lab. He was a technician. He was taking drugs and was, uh, you know, injecting himself, but ended up infecting all sorts of people with hepatitis C. And he had had issues in other hospitals But there was no means of tracking. So it's the same thing with the police officers who keep getting shuttled. Yep. Yeah. Or priests shuttled around. And that whole nomadic police officer part just rang so true to me because in addition to police moving around because of issues, they move around because of the old boys network. And I can think of so many situations, not so many, but I can think of situations in New Hampshire where there was something identical to what they talked about in this podcast, like a bunch of cops were down at Hampton Beach and they were all drinking and they got in a fight and it got swept under the rug. And then mysteriously, like a bunch of them went to go work at a, the same police department in another state. Yeah, uh, yeah. Imagine how that happened. You know, basically, I'm glad that this information is out there. But what the fuck, Phoenix? Toby, wouldn't you just want to know if this cop, these cops are working in your town?
3: Like, that's that's the other thing, too. It's like, why do you have to have like an interaction with a cop, like an actual police interaction with a cop to need to know this? I mean, these are people who are supposed to be looking out for us and protecting us. And like, I would want to know if there was a cop who has been accused of misconduct repeatedly or lied repeatedly working in my town, sort of in charge of the public safety of my town. Isn't that something that you would want to know?
4: Yeah, of course. I mean, I I think ideally it would be made public and you also your tax dollars are paying the salary, right? So it seems like there should be some oversight and, you know, where your tax dollars going. You know, I guess my fear would be that if it was made public I just wonder how much of this stuff is possible because it's not made public. That's not put on a website somewhere. And that if it was like, okay, this is going on the website, suddenly people start ratcheting way, way back on who's on the list and stuff. And that it ends up actually moving things in the wrong direction. And I don't think that's right. And I think that's a terrible reason to not do it. But I just wonder if reality is, and based on this podcast, other stuff we've listened to and watched, you know, again, it's like, the institutions will protect themselves yeah. and we haven't even gotten into like the police unions and what they would bring to the table if if this became like a put it on a website for anybody to see kind of thing so yeah i mean i I'd sort of philosophically i think it should've been instituted a long long time ago and then we wouldn't be having to have these discussions but i think the fact that it's now like can it happen i just feel as though there's enough sort of institutionally that would either keep it from happening, or if it was sort of rammed down their throat, we're like, "All right, we're just going to throw them like the worst of the worst," and then a lot of bad cops kind of float by because they don't rise to this new standard. Yeah, you know
5: what else? They institutionally can't stop us talking about business in the business section. That's true, and I guess oh that's- god,
4: though they try, they try, they very, try. very very that's
5: hard. they so create Kevin, a list.
3: <laughs> What's on the list in our business section right now? Well,
5: right now in Patreon. You go to Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media, and you can get all sorts of podcasts exclusively there, including this week's Crime Writers on After Show. And this week, we're going to be talking about holiday hijinks. Bad Christmas. Bad Christmas. Yeah, we all get it. I mean, it's not going to be like, hey, what did you get for Christmas? No one wants to hear that. It's about what shit did you get into? Yep. We also have coming up. Very soon, we're going to have the new episode of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Everybody's doing their homework so they can be ready for the next book discussion. And Toby, tell us a little bit about the book that you are discussing.
4: It's called Trailed, One Woman's Quest to Solve the Shenandoah Murders. It's by Catherine Miles. And all I can really tell you about Right now, because I haven't started it yet, is it has a very attractive cover. Yeah, nice green, um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's like some yellow letters and stuff. But I've got two great guests to talk about it, and it's gotten a lot of rave reviews. And by this time next week, I hope to be about halfway through it.
5: Yeah, he's teasing those two great guests are Janet Varney and Allison Horrocks. Wow, did I say her last name right?
4: I believe so. So. Two things about Allison. One is she's a forced ranger, wow. I believe, yeah. or, or, or something along those lines. And the other thing is, it's a first for the deep dive. She's a fellow Trinity College graduate. Mm. So there'll be two bantams. Incredible. on this episode. Yeah, it's, it's probably the only place on the, on the internet you'll be able to hear two Bantams talking about. <laughs> I hope, Trailed I hope, uh, by Catherine Miles. I hope
3: our professional comedian friend Janet roasts you guys for that. Yeah, no, well,
5: i have given her a nice. little heads up. She's too nice yeah. for that. <laughs> She's doing her research right now.
3: Way too nice for that. All right, so Kevin, is that, does that the business section? Is that yeah. what we have to talk about?
5: Yeah, I want to get back to this other discussion. So yes, that's, that's the, the business ends. section. The business section.
3: I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now.
1: As a professional welder, Shana Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
2: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
1: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
6: Las acciones dicen más que las palabras. Abre el Pro Access Tailgate disponible de la nueva Ford F-150. Sí, una puerta oscilatoria de fácil acceso para convertir su cama en tu nuevo taller. Conecta tus herramientas al Pro Power Onboard disponible. Ya sea que necesites soldar o cortar madera, con la F-150 puedes. Fuerza así de inteligente, solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford, Pro Access Steelgate disponible en la primavera de 2024.
3: All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Officer Anthony Armour. He appears in a couple of the episodes here. Um, He is a cop that appears on the Brady list. He appears to be a pretty dangerous guy, and yet he is allowed to continue to do his job again and again and again. Kevin, what do you think about what we hear about Officer Armour and the fact that even another cop's incident with him does not take him off the streets?
5: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean... I guess I shouldn't be surprised that there are these kinds of police officers working today, but he seems particularly dangerous. The three incidents that these women accuse him of are kind of very different, but they are part of a particular arc where he has checked nearly all the boxes for all the things that a cop shouldn't do and that why they would make them impeachable in other trials. You know, the way that he interfered with that woman during that police stop, all the way to drugging and raping a fellow officer.
2: And so I just point blank asked him, do you believe me? And he said, I believe that you believe you were raped. Do you believe me? I absolutely
1: believe that you believe that
2: he sexually assaulted you. Uh,
5: It just, he just seems very, very dangerous. And the kind of thing where... I think it was Dave. It was like, he's not lying about coming home late to his mom or whatever. These are like very serious lies. And I find it very hard to believe. I'll just say I don't believe that the other cops working around him are not aware that he's a bad apple. Yeah. And either Toby mentions the unions. I think that's a great point. They just decide the breakage is too much to get rid of him. But it says an awful lot when you have an investigator come in and make the choice between helping a fellow officer who has been raped and helping the suspect who also is an officer who you got to know is a fucking asshole and is completely capable of doing this. It's just like, well, I'm thinking like they just decided what's worse. Going to jail or living life as a rape victim. I guess going to jail is probably worse. Well, what's worse, Ugh. the news
3: story about a cop who was, is accusing someone of rape, or a news story about a cop who committed a rape? Like they're like yeah, you yeah, can yeah, yeah, do, yeah, the yeah. calculus that they're making is so disgusting, right? When they're like and yeah. they're pressuring her to not prosecute, or when they're pressuring her to not report, like you can you can imagine the calculus. The fact that they say that she didn't use the word sexual assault when they were in that room, when it's literally in her medical file, when she literally did, is astonishing to me. The fact that it's not in their internal report, the fact that they didn't do anything, and that tape she has of that man saying to her, I believe that you believe you were sexually assaulted made me want to jump into my own headphones and grab that man around the throat, rip off his head and shove (gasps) it down his own neck. That's how they treat Ooh. a cop,
5: a fellow cop. Can yes. you imagine you're just a regular person and you're sexually assaulted in
2: that community? I believe that she yeah. believed she was sexually assaulted. Oh, for
5: fuck's sake. She's a yeah. cop.
2: Yeah, she she, she kind of like knows. Like when they're like, we're going to have to notify the authorities. And she's like, well, I am the police. I am the authorities. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was un-freaking-believable. I'm just going to say on that, it warrants a new needlepoint from our friends, our Date with Dateline friends. For this guy, Yeah, I, I just don't know
3: who I'd put, I mean, I'd put it up, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, who is it that says in the podcast, like, we all want to think that, like, cops don't wake up in the morning and don't say, like, I want to do all these bad things, I don't want to arrest mm-hmm. people. And we all we all know that there are some bad cops here and there, but, like, it's the ones around them who don't do anything about it, who might be doing good things in their job, but they are also bad cops, because they didn't do anything about the one that they knew was a bad cop, right? Yeah. I know I'm going to get like bad reviews and emails and tweets about this, but like that line, like really stuck out to me. Like in this instance, how can you like pitting cop against cop? How is it anti-cop to say that they should have done something about this cop's rape? That's not anti-cop. I'm being pro cop right now. This cop was yeah. raped. Right. They should have fucking done something about it.
4: It's bullshit. Yeah. But I think the, again, it's like, do you hold people accountable? And I think the culture is if a cop does it no. So yeah. even if a cop is the victim of it, it's like we, you know, yeah. if we, if we start holding him accountable, then people are going to be like, oh, so you only do it if it's a cop, right? You know, so you, you just don't even go there, right?
5: So irresistible force and the immovable object, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: So Toby, Superior Arizona uh, looks like that's where we're going to be retiring, eh? <laughs>
4: that place sounds hot. This is uh. the this is
3: the town where. Um, a full six out of nine, uh, that is a full 66% of the police force, by the way, is on the Brady list because of uh, cops moving around, getting fired, and looking for other places to work. Um, yeah, let's let's move there. Tobes, what do you think?
4: Yeah, as I was putting my notes together for this, I was like wondering, like, what does the town look like? Like, how many people are in this town? Like, is it just... I know. I was kind of on the fly <laughs> when I was doing this. Uh, anyway, like this case, this one cluster of bad cops ending up at this one place, I assume they must come cheap or something. But it doesn't speak well of sort of the institutional values of the superior Arizona police force, I don't think. They're they're right. You're
1: under, You're under
4: Then five officers come out of nowhere and they pile on top of them,
1: two cops leaning on each of Clint's arms, and then they cuff his arms behind his back. You can
4: go to jail with your buddy now.
1: Well, we have a lot of L'Orealist cops in a lot of small
3: towns in New Hampshire. I mean, that's not yeah. atypical, I think, where they, they go where, you know, they get fired or they leave and the pay is lower and department's hard to hire and departments will hire, you know, looking,
2: yeah. right? And and I also think a lot of the small towns and I don't want to stereotype, but like when I when I was back as a reporter would hear about police with situations that would land them on the lawyer list. A lot of times it was in small towns where there wasn't perhaps as much oversight or as much training. And, you know, I remember one story was this young cop who literally strip searched somebody on the side of the road. And it was like, why was that a good idea? Why did you do that? And it just kind of got swept under the rug. And they do sort of move around, like you were saying, Rebecca.
5: Yeah, I once had a conversation with the uh, the safety commissioner in the state of New Hampshire, who also happened to, used to be the commander of the New Hampshire State Police, and we were talking about something. And he was saying about how you know when they hire, and a lot of people like that's a that's a good job in law enforcement. A lot of people apply there. They have what they consider to be rigorous standards, you know, for physical and mental and all that other, psychological, all the other stuff. And so they reject a lot of people. And he says, like when I see like those people that we rejected getting jobs in like these other communities, it's like, Oh fuck. You know, yeah. like that's, he didn't say, whoa, fuck, but that's why, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's funny because you would think that if you're just going to look at the quality of the officers that you would think that superior is starting with people. They got that. Nobody else wanted to hire. True, but these are folks that went down to the minor leagues. These aren't people in the minor leagues looking to go up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm thinking it's probably because it's one of the places where those kinds of cops will get hired. Probably they're like, we don't need to pay them as much as we would, you know, another cop because they don't have a fucking job if we don't let them in.
3: I just keep thinking about this. Like, I'm just looking at the Lori List thing in New Hampshire right now. There's 188 unredacted names out of 265. So there are 72 officers and former officers that have filed lawsuits those are the redacted ones. And basically there's a law now in New Hampshire that says the whole, whole list has to become unredacted and as soon yeah. as these lawsuits are dismissed the names will become unredacted so like every quarter there's it's like a few more names. It's not fully
5: adjudicated yet. Correct. Okay. Yeah.
3: So every quarter now they're releasing new, more and more names. And yeah. I just and I'm just thinking the latest batch was a cops in Concord, cops in Claremont, cops in actually like in towns and cities. So Laura, I'm thinking like 6 out of 9 in this tiny town, right? Yeah. How do you pair up two cops for an arrest when you have six out of nine, and like they can never have any court cases for any of these arrests?
5: You know, those other three are like sergeants. So, like, right? yeah. basically,
3: you you could commit a murder in this town. Yeah. Like, if you want to murder someone in this town, like, I'm like, I'm not suggesting it, but I'm saying you're creating an environment where you you have terrible witnesses. Yeah, I just can't imagine a situation where you can rely. Like, how can you do your policing
2: in right. that case? I mean, how can you do any there's sort poor of three people who are not on the list? Yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> first I was going to make a joke and say, like, I could like drive as fast as I want in my little mini Cooper through that town. But in all seriousness, like if you want to get can, the shit kicked out of you for doing it. Yeah. But like they can triage like emergency situations. And maybe if there's like, you know a showdown in the middle of the town, they can do something about it. But anything that's actually going to be adjudicated at court, like forget about it.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I just felt bad for the three who aren't. I'm like, they must be on call all the time. Oh, give it time.
5: time. Cause those other six are going to drag them into something they don't want to get into. I
3: don't, I don't want to listen. I don't want to like,
5: I don't know their names. Come I don't on. Know names either, They're not listening to this podcast. You never. Okay. Well, so, you know, can I just ask one thing? Because the idea that Toby brought up about like, well, what role did the unions play and protecting them, because that happens that happens everywhere. But my question is, and they didn't really go into this, is how does a single officer get on that list? Let me guess. It's usually the chief or a supervisor or a police commission that has a problem with that officer, or they make the determination that, yeah, you know, this rises to the level I have to report this. How much of it is like, "Uh, in my opinion, this doesn't rise to the level of needing to go on the list? It seems to me like... It can often be used as an administrative punishment to get around union rules, or it's just like, that's yeah, fine. I don't want a bunch of people on the Brady list in my department. It's going to screw up the way I uh, I do. we do policing here. We're not superior, Arizona.
4: Hmm. So my other feeling about this list is that it's really it's not about good policing or public safety or anything like that. It's about fucking up prosecutions. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, again, it's just sort of like it's not it's not like a benevolent thing. Nope. It's like, we don't want to screw up a trial. We don't want to
3: lose court cases
4: because one of these assholes has to come up here. I mean, if that wasn't an issue, it just seems like this list wouldn't exist at all. And I think they kind of get to that a little bit later. Like I guess in the last episode where uh, that reporter, Dave is kind of talking about different, like so-called reforms in the Phoenix, the police department and he's like, this isn't a, Reform is like, like, sort of the baseline of what is expected of a modern police force. And it seems like a reform just because you've been so bad up until this moment that you haven't been doing, you know, body cameras or I, I can't remember what the other thing was that he mentioned. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, it's, you know,
3: it's like, it's like, it's like, I'm a great wife. I don't berate you.
4: Right. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just like,
3: you know like i seriously it's like oh look at this great dog my our dog is wonderful he doesn't shit in the house anymore like that's the baseline for what makes a dog good right, right? like yeah
4: <laughs> and it comes down to again it's like what drives all this is a threat to their institution right they don't want to actually get these guys in trouble they just don't want these guys to fuck anything up right so again it has nothing to do with public confidence yeah. or anything like that it's just it's so cynical <laughs>
3: Well, we, we can't finish this discussion without talking about what happens in the final episode. Oh, my God. Um, I will say, I just want to say briefly, some of the tape in this podcast is very difficult to listen to. The body cam tape, the tape in the, in the police department, the guy goes to pick up his friend, the tape at the traffic stop. And one of the episodes is so difficult to listen to, Uh, even though I think the podcast does a very good job of not making you listen to the most like, you know, harrowing parts. You just know what's happened, that sense of dread you feel. But we have in the final episode a Black Lives Matter uh, protest and the Phoenix Police Department basically invents a fake gang in order to, I guess lock up a bunch of people for protesting peacefully by creating a fake gang called ACAB, which is just a chant that Black Lives Matter uh, people say during protests. And they got the district attorney's office involved. They got a grand jury to agree and indict people on a fake gang charge. Laura Bricker, thoughts?
2: <laughs> you know, I was just going to launch on that one, didn't you, Rebecca? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this particular scene It came full circle, so we'll get to that. But initially, you hear there are 60 cops, 18 protesters.
4: Um, I'm a nurse in Prescott. Well, you should know better. I come out here to do photography. I didn't know this was a thing until about a half hour ago. Yes, go ahead and see, sir. All right. Should Should have stayed in Prescott.
5: Now you get to visit Fourth Avenue Jail.
2: And then you hear about how they go to the grand jury And by the way, the protesters you're setting up, they're they're walking along and the cops are following. And then I'm like, that's such a power dynamic there where you have just the amount of police versus the amount of protesters. The protesters are, by all accounts, just out there voicing their opinions. They have their umbrellas so that they can protect themselves from getting tear gas in the face. But then when you hear the way that the cops spin it, for me, that's when I really started to launch, you know, the umbrellas are dangerous weapons because they've been sharpened so they can stab the police and they have nails like Catwoman nails so they can scratch the police. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And then, you know, it just goes on and on. And then obviously the all cops are bastards chant that they're doing. It's almost so unbelievable. You can't believe it's true. And it's so unbelievable in the sense that the police are just putting absolute nonsense out there that when you hear it, you're like, how can they think anyone's going to believe this shit? Like Catwoman nails? Like, really? Amen to that judge who came in and was like, yeah, they colluded to charge these protesters as gang members and all 39 cases dismissed. Um, and all those people were fired. Yeah. No, but they like, were not fired. Nothing happened to them. No, but at least it's out there. I was like, thank God. And now I'm like that poor judge. Like he's probably on their target list now. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? But that was absolutely you listening to this and you're just like, how can this be real? How can this actually be happening that they are coming up with such far fetched things as I'm like. My God, like who knew? The umbrella. Yeah. And like it's like a James Bond movie or something like Paching! we're going to hit you with the umbrella stabber. And like, you and know, that incident with
3: the photographer in that scene is like the third or fourth time in the podcast. We hear a, a Phoenix cop or a cop in Arizona bullying somebody and enforcing them to get, like, tell me your name. Don't tell if you don't tell me your name. You're under arrest. Why are you here? You don't tell me why you're here. You're under arrest. Like, like making up laws on the spot. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't be here now. <laughs> you're under arrest. Wild, absolutely wild, but, but but not unpredictable. Right, Toby?
4: Yeah, I think it's sadly predictable. You know, again, as I was just talking about, it's like, what's the priority here? What's the value? And it seems clearly to be protecting the institution, protecting the police against what they see as a threat to their legitimacy in ways that may be legitimate. So they make up this shit to try and squash dissent and again, I think it also goes to what we've talked about in, in past episodes, which is at what point did they they perceive threats from far right and far left groups? And again, this is like a far left thing where nothing really happened. They walked, but then they were arrested because of their beliefs rather than any action they took that was illegal. So <laughs> it's upsetting and it's it's horrifying and, and something needs to be done about it. But to me, it's just like, yep. Yeah. You know, it sounds like that's happened a whole bunch of places. You Wait. know what
5: I think happened the next weekend in Phoenix? No Black Life Matters protest. And that was yeah. the point. Yeah. Right.
3: I mean, I, I do wanted to give Dave a little bit of crap about something. Yeah. Him saying some of these people were Harvard graduates. Some of them were that's like, who fucking cares? It doesn't matter who they were. Right. It doesn't matter who they were. It doesn't matter if they were, quote, educated. It doesn't matter who they were. And these cops did not. And the other thing he said is that these cops shook them down because they were tired of being out there on that beat. That's not why those cops shook them down. It's not. It's because they wanted to squelch being any, any, any sort of protest against cops.
0: It was just so obvious.
3: They had a tape. green
5: light to do it this time.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: As a professional welder, Shana Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
2: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
1: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
6: Tienes mucho en tus manos. Pero con solo mover un dedo puedes dar marcha atrás con Pro Trailer Backup Assist disponible. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Ya sea que estés trabajando al máximo, or divirtiéndote al máximo. Esta camioneta te respalda porque está hecha para ser una parte indispensable de tu equipo. Fuerza ha sido inteligente. Solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo for Fuerza Ford.
3: All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know should they check out the podcast Verified? The season is
2: called Full Disclosure. What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast. Laura Bricker, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to go thumbs up with this. This was something, as we know, I love when there is some sort of a criminal justice story that really needs to get out there to raise awareness, where people have been taken advantage of, where people are not treated properly. And Phoenix, Arizona is where it's all going down. And the reporting by Dave, who was the TV reporter who did a ton of work about police on their Brady list there, was really top-notch reporting a really extensive research. The stories in this are extremely rage inducing, but in being that way, they highlight the issues within this police department and in this area that really need to come out. But I hope because, you know, I'm not going to give spoilers that perhaps this podcast and the stories in this podcast and the information going out into a different medium might lead to some change in Phoenix, Arizona. So I would say, listen to it. And um, it's a big thumbs up for me. Toby ball, what do you think?
4: yeah, I'm a thumbs up as well. I mean, I don't think there's anything in this that I found like particularly surprising or sort of revelatory, but what they do is they they it's just documenting very clearly both sort of malfeasance among these Arizona police departments and the lack of accountability and how even like the sort of internal accountability systems aren't very effective uh, and so on. So it's a very good piece of reporting and documentation to sort of show things that I think we, we from years of doing this already kind of know, but this leaves no doubt. And it's just, you know, it's well-written. It's very well-reported. It's got some very compelling and difficult, as you said, audio. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strong thumbs up for me. Kevin Flint. I'm a thumbs up during our review. We talked an
5: awful lot about the issues, but specifically, as far as the way that this podcast is put together, it's excellent. I, I don't want to give Natasha Del Toro short shrift because some of the news gathering was done by an, another organization. She puts together a very compelling podcast with great. I want to say it this way. She brings the receipts. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing where I know about this practice. I don't think a lot of folks in the true crime field kind of understand that this is another aspect of um, finding out who in law enforcement is trustworthy and not and the way that there needs to be reforms in this particular area. So I'm going to say that uh, if you're waiting for your rage walk, your first one of 2023, this is it.
3: Yeah, I agree. I'm giving this podcast a thumbs up as well. And I will say um, a lot of people pitch their like journalism to podcasts and podcast series. Like I want my story to be in your feed or I, this is a good model for that. This is like an existing feed with an existing host using somebody else's reporting. But it doesn't sound like it was sort of like shoved into a different brand. It's just really nicely done. I mean, Dave's presence here is strong. It doesn't feel like Natasha is just reading work that he did.
5: It's complimentary.
3: It absolutely. But it, it also just doesn't feel like we just have her there for no reason. You know what I mean? It's just like, obviously, audio people made this show using a lot of the foundational journalism that this reporter did. And I just think it's just really, really well put together. So, yeah, big thumbs up for me for this season of Verified. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. Hang on to your hats, guys, because South Korea has officially ended its ban on the importation of sex dolls. About time. <laughs> yes. For several years, customs agents have been seizing the life-sized, anatomically correct adjustable mannequins, saying they harm public morals. Why does the public use them together, or something? A Korean importer sued, saying there are no laws in the books banning the sex dolls and the government shouldn't regulate what people do in their own homes. That's right. They also argued that using a sex doll doesn't injure anyone unless you call silicone burns an injury. There are sex dolls made in Korea, but their quality is inferior to those from abroad. They're more lifelike, and importantly, they're washable. (laughs) Customs officials say they'll begin letting commerce resume. Meanwhile, they have to decide what to do with the 1,000 sex dolls in storage that they've seized since 2018. So panel, 1,000 sex dolls in one place made us wonder, what have
2: all those confiscated sex dolls been doing all of this time Laura Bricker what do you think well if the police force there is anything like Phoenix Arizona I think they're probably uh, fostering them in their homes while they're waiting for them to be moved out of holding (laughs) Oh, what do you think Toby ball what are these 1000 sex dolls doing in storage
4: Uh, golf
5: ball cleaning
3: what do you think Kevin
5: they're listening to true crime podcasts
3: I think they're cosplaying
2: Westworld
5: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was totally. I, and I
2: have to tell you, I went down the rabbit hole on this one. So did Toby um, Ball. Did you look up the sex no, dolls too, just, Toby? No. Just,
4: no just, <laughs> it was a rabbit hole so
2: I, I. Oh, well, anyway. So I went and looked. So they're like, the cheapest one is like $900, but they can sell for as much as $1,000. Wow. It says discreet packaging. The box is completely plain and without any trace of suspicious logos. Unlike the Christmas gift you got me, which had the name of the Christmas gift on the outside yes, of the box. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> the dolls will be shipped naked without the advertised costumes, but we will randomly give away similar wigs and nice. lingerie. Nice. But they are very realistic. I yeah. have to say it's a Listen, little creepy. I think creepy. A thousand bucks is cheap for a woman.
5: <laughs> well,
2: 10,000 though. 10,000. Oh, 10,000. 10,000. It's not cheap for a woman. I'm afraid now my computer might crash and I'm going to be eating ads on Facebook about Korean sex dolls. Yeah, (laughs)
5: but you know, with the mouth like that, she always looks surprised. I
2: know, it's amazing. All right, that should probably do it
3: for us. Uh, So on that note, if you want to follow Laura Bricker on social media to send her photos of your favorite sex doll, how can you find her? (laughs) Laura Bricker, how can you be found on social media?
2: Uh, You can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter.
3: How about you, Toya Ball? How can you be found
4: at Toby Ball and H.
3: What about you?
5: my petition to have the $10,000 sex doll <laughs> renamed Laura Bricker, no. you can tweet to me at Kevin P. Flynn.
3: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb LaVoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and please join our incredible and smart community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular page, hit join the group, we'll let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get all the awesome stuff we have back there. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where I keep a meticulous list of every time Kevin lies about folding the laundry. I
5: did it already.
3: On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you Later. Later.
5: Remember Rebecca when you couldn't trust anybody to record their own levels, and you're like, "Yeah, all right, right. you have for breakfast." A I still
3: more. barely trust Lara sometimes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna build um, a studio in my basement soon, Good. along with everything get, else. I'm gonna get Kevin, in to help basement. you.
5: Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, your own studio C. Yeah,
2: I can. I have plenty of space down there, you guys. It's it's like a roller rink. Yeah, it's huge.